So today is a, a day of a pretty great transition here at the gate. The one who planted the gate, the one who's been through all of the ups and the downs of the gate, who've experienced the highs and lows, who knew you all by name is no longer here. And so you may have some, some mixed emotions about that. Maybe you have some hurt feelings. Uh, maybe there's a knot forming in your stomach because of some sadness that you have. And maybe today just feels a little empty. Now, I'll be honest with you. I wish there were words that I could speak that would completely reverse all of the, those emotions that you're having at this time. But as you know, there's no words that I can say that will do that. So I'd like for us to open up this morning by looking at Acts chapter 20, which is where we hear about Paul leaving uh, the church of Ephesus or the Ephesian leaders for the last time before he goes to his death and some of the emotions that they have along with that. So we hear these words uh, in Acts chapter 20. And when they had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. And they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word that he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. So the Ephesians were a group that Paul had stayed with for some three years. He had lived life together with them. He had done ministry with them. And now as he leaves, he knows this is going to be the last time that he ever sees them. Now, we don't hear much in Scripture about the Ephesian church after this, but what we do know is that they continued. They continued on doing what Paul had been doing with them throughout his ministry to them. We know this because the church endures at least till the time when John is writing uh, in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 2, we hear Jesus himself talking to the Ephesian church. But they continued to do what Paul had been doing with them. They continued to remind each other about what Jesus had done for them. They continued to reason with those who were in the synagogues and who were in the markets so that they would know who Jesus was and what he had done for all peoples. They continued to gather together and do fellowship together, breaking bread and also praying for one another. And that's the same thing that we're going to continue to do here at the gate. We will continue to do not what Pastor Aaron started for us to do, what it is that the Lord our God has called us to do, to be those who reach out to the community, to be those who have a, a safe haven here, a, a, a place to worship the Lord our God, to connect with one another, and then also to serve not just one another here in this church, but our community as well. And it's that idea of service that we're going to spend some time looking at today. Over at St. Paul, we've been going through the Red Letter Challenge, uh, which is called a 40-day life-changing discipleship challenge, where we take the words that Jesus spoke, those red letters, and put them into practice in our daily lives. We don't just think about them or talk to one another about ways we possibly could, but we actually go about acting on what Jesus talked about. In the first week, uh, there, there, there's five general principles uh, for the 40 uh, day challenge, and each week we kind of looking at a different principle. First week we looked at simply being in the presence of our God, so being in God's word, praying with God, uh, worshiping together as God's people, and practicing some spiritual disciplines like fasting or taking a Sabbath. This past week we looked at something that Jesus continually practiced throughout his earthly ministry, that of forgiving those who are around him, showing his grace and love to 
all peoples, not just to a select few. And this week we begin to look at the, the principle of serving. And I think it's this idea that we might have some misconceptions based on some general assumptions that we've made about what serving in the name of Christ looks like on a daily basis. And so we're going to go through each of the three readings that we have for today and, and diagnose those problems. And we begin in Exodus chapter 18. And up to this point in Exodus, God's people have been enslaved in Egypt. Uh, the Lord God brings them out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm through the Red Sea. Uh, and then in Exodus chapter 15, God's people, Israel, praise the Lord God for all the deliverance that he has brought about for them, that he led them out of slavery. We think, awesome, God's people finally get it. God is the one who provides for them. But then in Exodus chapter 16, God's people grumble and complain that they have no food to eat and that it would be better to have stayed in Egypt as slaves. And so God provides them with manna that they are to go out daily and pick up that they may provide not only for themselves but also for their families. We think, okay, here we go. We're good to go now. Until we get to Exodus chapter 17, where God's people continue to grumble and complain. They think that the Lord God has brought them out into the wilderness in order to kill them because they don't have water to drink. So the Lord God commands Moses, his servant, to strike a rock, and from that rock comes water for his people. We see that God's people, even though God has chosen to show them his covenantal, his steadfast, his unconditional love, continually have some problems. They have some trust issues. And this stands in stark contrast to a man that we meet in our text today of Exodus 18, that being Moses' father-in-law, Jethro. Now, we hear right before our text that Jethro is the one who brings Moses' family back to him. His wife and his sons he had sent off while he was in Egypt, and now his father-in-law is bringing them back. And so, Jethro stands in stark contrast to God's people because after he brings Moses' wife and his children to him, he doesn't say, sorry, i got to get back to the land of Midian before the sun goes down. No, he actually takes time to praise the Lord God for his deliverance that he's given to his people, Israel. And then, being a, I would say, good father-in-law, he actually just watches to see what Moses and God's people are doing. And he actually has Moses' best interest at heart. He doesn't want to make Moses, his son-in-law, into a cookie-cut image of himself. He doesn't want him just to do whatever he says, but rather he wants to, to raise up and to help the leader that God has raised up for his people, that being Moses, his servant. And so we hear uh, Jethro ask this question of Moses after he's kind of considered what it is that's taking place. He says, why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning until evening? And we go, oh, actually, I think I know the answer to this question. So God's people have some serious problems. They can't trust one another. They have to have someone to decide their disputes, to say who's in the right and who's in the wrong, because they can't do that for themselves. Now, it's interesting what doesn't take place after this. We don't hear that Moses says to him, well, God's people have some serious problems. And Jethro goes, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that God's people were not living the way that God had called them to live. If that's the case, by all means, keep on doing what you're doing. It's not what he says. Rather, he speaks the truth to his son-in-law and says, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. 
for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Right here, we see the first misconception or misunderstanding that Moses has, that he is going to do this alone for God's people. And it's based on the false assumption that he, has, that he alone has the ability to be able to provide what God's people need. He has this lone ranger mentality. He himself wants to be the superhero for God's people instead of remembering who it was that led them out from their slavery in Egypt and who has continually provided for them. And that's the Lord God himself. Now, have you ever maybe had this mentality that you alone could serve the Lord God in such a way that you alone were the only one who could do such a task as has, had been set before you? I know that's something that I struggle with personally. But Ashley and I actually even talked about this past Friday. But it's incredible to see how the Lord God works in our lives. Sometimes he puts up a roadblock, maybe even more appropriately, a brick wall to stop us from going any farther of thinking that we can do this service alone. Sometimes he leads somebody to, to speak the truth to us, kind of like we see Jethro doing here. And other times he even leads somebody to walk alongside us and to help us so that we don't have to serve alone but can do it together. And we hear now the advice that Jethro gives to his son-in-law, Moses. He says to him, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy, and who hate a bribe. And place such men over the peoples as chief of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. Now, notice, again, what Jethro does not say. He doesn't say, assemble your friends, those people who have spoken nice words to you, those people that you like being around, and rule God's people with your own little posse. No, he gives qualification, qualifications for those that are to be raised up to positions of leadership, these judicial positions, those who fear God, who worship the Lord God, the creator of everything alone, those who are trustworthy, those who will act rightly and justly, and who most certainly will not take a bribe. But the system that God has laid out through Jethro for Moses, for his people, is based upon one thing and one thing alone, and that's trust. God's people have to trust that Moses has the correct qualifications for those that he is going to raise up for these judicial leadership positions. And Moses, he has to trust that these men who are raised up are going to act as they said that they have acted or as they have acted in the past as well, that they will fear God, that they will be trustworthy and they will not take a bribe. And it's interesting to see, I think, that application for us today here at the gate. What a time of transition we are in. And what is it that our God is calling us to do as his church? Well, it's to trust him. That he has raised up those to leadership positions in order to lead and guide us as a congregation here. To see what it is truly that our God is calling us to do in this community. What our purpose is so that we can go about doing that in his name. But again, our God is calling us to trust him. Now, it's interesting, as we look at our gospel reading for today, a, a phrase really stood out when I was looking at it, and the phrase is, we are able. This is what um, 
the sons of Zebedee, James and John, say in our gospel reading today. Now, James and John were those who were called by Jesus back in Mark chapter 1. They had journeyed with Jesus throughout this entire time. They had heard him preach publicly and also teach them privately. They had seen him cast out demons, heal those who were sick, uh, even uh, provide food for those uh, out of absolutely or very little for great multitudes. They'd heard Jesus speak that he was going to his death in Jerusalem, that he was going to die on the cross, but then on the third day, he was going to rise again from the dead. They didn't just hear this the one time or two times, but three times Jesus has told them this, and yet they ask Jesus to do whatever they want him to do. We want to have glory. Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking for. He says, do you think that you can drink the cup that I'm about to drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I'm about to be baptized? Meaning, can you take upon yourself the, world, the worst that this world has to offer? Take upon death itself? Take it to the grave and then on the third day rise again from the dead? <laughs> What's their response? We are able. Now, in the context of serving, I think that we have the exact opposite plight of James and John here. James and John overestimate what they're able to do. They have the ability to do what Jesus is about to do himself and himself alone. But we, on the other hand, I think we underestimate ourselves based upon our past experiences. We've learned that it's better to underpromise and overdeliver than overpromise and underdeliver. And so that's led us to the assumption that we can only really serve in a few small ways. And that's led us to the, the misconception that we should only serve in ways that we want to. And while that might work out really well practically or pragmatically, that we're able to serve in ways that we want to, we enjoy our service, we enjoy serving with those who have the same passions that we do, we know that that's not what our God is calling us to do in service because that's not what we see Jesus doing in his earthly ministry. If Jesus only did what he wanted to do, we'd be in serious problem. And yet we see that Jesus goes about doing not what he wants to do, but what the Father has called him to do, what only he alone could do. As he says at the end of our text, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so as we go out from here, then it's our joyous opportunity that our God has given to us in order to go back out and to serve him, to give back to our God all that he has first shown to us and the service that he has given to us, right? Well, that's, that's actually what I thought when I was growing up. And it stands up pretty starkly in my mind. Uh, my dad... Uh, was and still is a Lutheran pastor. And at one of the churches that we were at, the church was going through a transition of their own. They were moving from one site two miles down the road to a new site. This is the new site right there. And uh, they did the normal church thing. They were going to raise funds uh, so that they could move to this new church. And I was about 10 years old at this time and obviously did not have a job and was not getting paid for the chores I did. So I had under, I would say, $20 in my piggy bank. And there was no way that I was going to give my money to the church. So I thought, there, there's got to be another way that I can give back to God, that I can serve God. And lo and behold, there was. Because when you transition to a new church, you have to make it look pretty nice on the inside. One of the ways that we needed that to be done was by running a dry mop over all of the construction process that had been done so that it could be ready for rollout Sunday. 
And so I spent one Saturday morning and probably part of the afternoon just dry mopping around the church, giving back to God for all that he had done for me. And I think this is a misconception that we have, that we need to give back to God because of all that he's given to us. It's based on the assumption that God in some way needs our service. But that's not our motivation for serving in Jesus' name. Rather, we go about serving in Jesus' name because we want to be more like Jesus. And so the question that lies before us as we go out from here is, so who is it then that our God has called us to serve? And Paul makes it explicitly clear that it is not the Lord our God. And in our epistle reading, he says these words. He says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He quotes this from Psalm 24, verse 1. And the point that Paul's making as he's writing to the Corinthians is they're dealing with uh, some problems in Corinth. Uh, some people don't know if it's okay to eat food that's been sacrificed to a pagan idol. And Paul is saying, go about and eat any food, because guess what? Pagan idols aren't real. They may think that they are real, but they're not real because they haven't done anything. The Lord God, the king of all creation, is the one who's created everything, and he's given it to you for your own benefit and your blessing. So go ahead and eat the meat that's been sacrificed to idols. But in our context here, it's reminding us that there's absolutely nothing that we could ever give to our God that he doesn't have. Everything is the Lord God's. There's absolutely nothing we could give back to him that he doesn't already have. So if we're not going to serve or give back to our God, who is it then that needs our service? And Paul answers that question earlier on in the text when he says, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. While the Lord our God does not need anything from us, those people that he has created and put around us in this world most certainly do. And that's the incredible reality that we go out from here with this morning, is that our God works through us for the benefit of those whom he has placed around us. Not just for their physical blessings and for their physical benefit that they may be provided with their daily bread and everything that they need for this life here on earth, but also for their spiritual benefit as well. As Paul goes on to talk about at the end of this text, verse 33, when he says that they may be saved. And that's the extraordinary thing that our God does in the midst of our ordinary lives. That he could, with a snap of his finger, simply go about and provide for the needs of every single person in this world. And yet, in his divine wisdom and character, he has chosen to work through us, his servants, in order to provide for the needs of those whom he places around us. And again, not just for their physical blessing and benefit, but also so that they may have a real relationship with the Lord our God. Now, who would go about working in this way? No one except our God. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.